Hey everybody, it's Brad here. Before we get started with the show today, I wanted to take a minute and let you guys know about our coaching program we run here at Macros Inc. We believe that every person on the planet deserves to live their healthiest and best life. A qualified nutrition coach and personal trainer can be the key to living that life. At Macros Inc., we provide fully customized one-on-one nutrition coaching and online personal training that has changed the lives of 10,000 people and counting. We offer a two-week free trial for our nutrition coaching, and you can get started risk-free today. Just go to macrosinc.net slash services and sign up. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to the show. I am Dr. Brad Dieter. This is episode number 46. And today we've got a little special format episode. We are going to do a deep dive on the topic of what controls the scale. And we're going to talk a little bit about calorie balance, but also a little bit about body recomposition. Let's get into the show. There is a famous joke about physicists, and it goes something like this. Milk production at a dairy farm was low, so the farmer wrote to the local university asking for help from academia. A multidisciplinary team of professors was assembled, headed by a theoretical physicist, and two weeks of intensive on-site investigation took place. The scholars then returned to the university, notebooks crammed with data, where the task of writing the report was left to the team leader, the physicist. Shortly thereafter, the physicist returned to the farm, saying to the farmer, I have the solution, but it only works in the case of spherical cows in a vacuum. This joke is a humorous way of stating that we use models to simplify complex problems in order to understand them. In nutrition and physiology, we do this quite often, especially when it comes to explaining weight loss. While this can get us pretty close to the right answer, and our current tools work really, really well from a pragmatic perspective, there is immense value in fleshing out the deeper underlying concepts surrounding weight, and body fat regulation. So grab your coffee. This is going to be a deep dive. Let's put that gray matter to work. Thermodynamics and context. Any discussion about the mass of a system, our body weight, has to first begin with thermodynamics. We shall begin by briefly reviewing the three laws of thermodynamics as a refresher. It's also a refresher for me. One, the law of conservation of energy This states that energy cannot be created or destroyed in an isolated system. Two, the entropy of an isolated system always increases. Three, the entropy of a system approaches a constant value as the temperature approaches absolute zero. As the internet has no peer review to stop bad arguments from being circulated, there's a lot of pedantic arguments saying we can't treat the body as an isolated system. This just feels like nonsense. You can quite easily model the human body as an isolated system with regard to energy input and energy output. Anyone who says otherwise really hasn't fully thought through the topic. I will throw myself under the bus here, as I've been sloppy in the past and and I've used that argument. But this is life, we learn, and we get much better. Now, on to context. When we think about thermodynamics and how it applies to the human body, we can look at the cellular level and discuss the biochemical reactions and free energy equations. Or we can take the pragmatic approach and discuss the notion of overall energy balance. Pragmatism is highly underrated and often way underutilized, so let's go that route. 
From the physicist's perspective about the spherical cow, we can approximate the changes in overall mass slash body weight by tracking the food that goes in and the energy that's expended. There have been metabolic chamber studies that measure all of the energy consumed and expended and the change in energy versus energy out and the change in body weight. And these things correlate very, very, very well. There are also tools such as doubly labeled water that can be used to approximate weight changes to a surprising degree of accuracy. This means that we can actually track energy in and energy out and directly correlate that to changes in body weight. Now, before we proceed any further, let me just plant a flag out in the open for all to see and let you know exactly what my interpretation of the data is on this topic. No matter what your theory of weight or body composition regulation is, it has to obey the law of thermodynamics. You simply cannot have more energy coming out of the body than going into the body and gain weight. And conversely, you cannot have more energy going into the body than coming out of the body and lose weight. Thus, any theory one contrives must fall under the laws of thermodynamics. Calories in versus calories out. One of the current models in nutrition that is equivalent to the physicist's sphere is the calories in, calories out model of body weight regulation. The calories in, calories out model holds a lot of truth and can explain a lot of the variation of body weight, yet it is incomplete. I like to compare the calories in, calories out model with Newtonian physics. It is accurate and describes gravity for the majority of cases, but it's not complete. We need Einstein's theory of relativity to describe the enormously large and fast, and we need quantum theory for the incredibly small. The calories in, calories out model is an excellent first approximation, but it suffers from what I like to call the black box approach, where it fails to fully address the nuances of the parts of the equation that drastically impact the output. The calories in, calories out model treats the body as a bomb calorimeter, failing to account for the complexities of the black box that is human physiology. I offer the following idea to illustrate my point. Imagine the body's a a bomb calorimeter, and you just look at calories in and calories out, and that change in body weight and body composition is the output. Now, the problem is, is in reality, we have calories in and we have calories out, but we also have internal and external signals, and those can also lead to changes in body composition. So some of those internal and external signals, what might those be? That might be resistance training. That might be hormones. That might be walking. That might be cardiovascular training. A whole lot of different things can actually affect the outcome. So let's look at the equation. Energy input minus energy output equals the change in the mass of the system. Now, let's look at the variables. Energy input, what you eat. Energy output, a whole lot of complicated stuff. Assumptions. In science, we make assumptions. You have to. If you want to accomplish anything meaningful, you have to make assumptions. For example, if I wanted to ask a question about some chemical property, I have to assume that the atomic theory of matter is correct. I can't spend 20 years conducting all my own experiments to confirm previous work. I have to rely on assumptions. Good scientists are very forthcoming and open about their assumptions. We should do so with regard to the calories in, calories out model of weight regulation. So here are this, the assumptions we make when we adopt a strict, cal strict calories-in, calories-out model of weight and fat mass regulation. One, 
When 100% accounted for, the energy into a system minus the energy out should equal the change in the mass of that system. Remember that E equals mc squared shows us that energy and mass are equivalent. Two, this model treats the body as a black box. Three, all energy inputs have the same effect on energy outputs. Limitations. Another hallmark of scientific integrity and intellectual honesty is to put forth your limitations in clear detail for all to see. There's no hand-waving. There's no pulling wool over the eyes. So let's put forth the two largest limitations of the calories-in, calories-out model. I'm probably missing a few, but these are the major ones. The calories-in, calories-out model fails to account for the different effects of macronutrients. For example, protein elicits a thermic effect of food that's higher than others and is harder or less efficient to store as body fat than either carbohydrates or fat. It also fails to account for changes in tissue quality. A gain of 5 pounds of lean mass and a loss of 5 pounds of body fat are quantitatively the same in regards to gravity slash body weight, but qualitatively very different in appearance and health-wise. So let's talk about how the body actually works. The human body is a living, dynamic organism that responds to stimuli. It reacts to a wide range of stimuli, chemical, electrical, physical, etc. It also follows, albeit roughly, a concept known as homeostasis, the tendency toward a relatively stable equilibrium between interdependent elements, especially as maintained by physiological processes. Essentially, that means when perturbed or disturbed, the system corrects itself back into equilibrium. This equilibrium can be returned to a former state or a new state that balances out the forces being put on the system. We can use two fairly well-known examples to show how robust the human body is and how it adapts specifically to a given stimulus. The first example is the body's adaptation to exercise stimulus. One simple way to look at this is the differential adaptations to muscle tissue that occur in people who engage in bodybuilding-style training versus endurance exercise. Bodybuilding results in increased muscle protein and increases in muscle cell size. Endurance training increases the mitochondrial density and alters cellular metabolism. Conversely, sedentary behavior results in muscle atrophy and loss of mitochondria and decreases muscle metabolism. The second example is testosterone. We know that physiological and supraphysiological levels of testosterone can have substantial divergent effects on muscle tissue. The administration of supraphysiological levels of testosterone is well documented to increase muscle mass while simultaneously decreasing fat mass. Now, when you add resistance training on top of testosterone, you magnify these effects as you have a chemical stimulus, testosterone, and a physical stimulus, the mechanical tension of weightlifting, working synergistically. We could continue with examples such as these ad nauseum, but I think they illustrate the point. The body is highly dynamic and aggregates a lot of signals into adaptations. As such, the calories in calories out model is fully functional, but likely incomplete. They only address one signal, neglecting the others. A full theory of weight regulation must consider all signals. The start of a new theory. A theory is a system of ideas intended to explain something, especially one based on general principles independent of the things to be explained. Essentially, a theory is a set of ideas that are substantiated by individual hypotheses. 
Thus, a new theory of weight regulation must consist of several independent ideas that we can test that all add up to a coherent set of ideas. Let me explicitly set out my theory of weight regulation in a series of clear, concise ideas. One, body weight is regulated by the net change in energy going into the system and out of the system, the body. Two, energy going in or energy intake is regulated by food intake. Three, energy going out is regulated by a complex interaction of varying stimuli. Four, the quality of the tissues in the body is also regulated by the complex interaction of the same stimuli above. When we boil this theory down, we can describe it in a relatively simple set of equations. Energy input minus energy output equals change in mass of the system. Energy input, what you eat. Energy output, a whole lot of complicated stuff. Change in body composition equals the physical manifestation of the quantity and quality of the stimulus. Now, this new theory doesn't necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater. In fact, it utilizes current knowledge and organizes them into a hierarchy. It is, in essence, a refinement of ideas into a more parsimonious model. It does require us to shift our thinking in some areas. First, we need to separate our vague notion that the weight of the system, i.e. the total mass, reflects the quality of the system, i.e. the body composition. So from a heuristic standpoint, we can begin to think about our model as stratified from the beginning. It's a little bit of a crude approach, but it begins to separate our thinking. We'll bring them back together in the end. When we distill the concepts of calories in, calories out into our new theory of weight regulation, we can allow it to govern the energy balance part of the equation. In the roughest sense, we can allow calories in, calories out to remain relatively intact and acknowledge that if we wish to simply change the mass of the system, i.e. the amount of weight gain or weight loss, we can approximate that quite closely using calories in, calories out as a module in our theory. Let's explore that a little bit more. Within the calories in, calories out module, we have our input, which is food, and we have our output, which is energy expenditure. Between the input and the output, we have even smaller modules that contribute to the overall amount of energy that is being expended, such as hormones, exercise, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, your environment with things like heat or altitude, um, and then the food that you consume. As you notice, we can weigh out the proportions of the module to, ref to reflect their relative contribution to the energy output. This needs a little bit of explanation. You'll notice that we do not have what most people consider the most important factors, age, weight, height, etc. The reason for this is quite simple. Those factors all act upstream of our micromodules and can be accounted for in the pieces represented. We have also selected a few key hormones that represent different aspects of human physiology. You'll notice that exercise makes up a, substantial, a substantially smaller piece of energy expenditure than our non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Environment also plays a fairly important role in energy expenditure. For example, living in cold temperatures can substantially affect energy output. You'll also notice that food makes up a small piece of the energy expenditure, although it's very small. While there are minor differences in energy output based on the thermic effect, these are relatively unimportant. Importantly, all of these modules, your hormones, your exercise, your NEAT, your environment, your food, 
are all knobs that you can change through your lifestyle. Changes in quality. We just addressed changes in the quantity of the mass of the system, the energy balance. Now we need to address the changes in the quality of the mass of the system, which means the relative amounts of muscle, fat, bone, and overall metabolic health of these systems and other organs. If you compare these to the modules related to change in quantity, the pieces are the same, but they're weighted a little bit different. The first large difference is the exercise piece. Decades of research have clearly shown that specific modes of training are not necessarily that important for weight loss, but they're incredibly important for eliciting specific adaptations in your body. For example, resistance training elicits a robust hypertrophy response in skeletal muscle, while aerobic training elicits more metabolic responses, such as increased mitochondria. Secondly, we know that the volume or quantity of the exercise that you do is a major driver of physiological adaptation. Thus, the quality, quantity, and intensity of the exercise, as well as the type you do, dictates a large portion of the changes in mass quality, meaning, does your bone tissue change? Does your muscle tissue change? Does the relative proportion of muscle to fat mass change? Decoupling our ideas. The prevailing idea is that energy balance is at the bottom of all things regarding weight regulation. This is true. It is at the bottom of all things regarding weight regulation. However, that neglects the other idea of the changes of the quality of the system. Although these two ideas are inextricably linked, we can decouple our ideas of quantity and quality. This actually allows you to make adjustments and adaptations to your body in a much more nimble way than the oversimplistic approach of it's only calories in and calories out. At the bottom, it 100% is about calories when it comes to body weight. When it comes to tissue quality, it's about calories in and the work being done and the signals driving the tissue adaptations. Applying this framework. Reasoning by analogy is inherently flawed and narrows the scope of our ability to think about a topic. However, in this situation, I think an analogy gets us part of the way there and helps us operationalize some ideas. Imagine the body is a mixing board. When using a mixing board, a signal of energy comes in, and you move the knobs and levers to control the volume, pitch, frequency of the signal that goes out. The body is similar, and you have a lot of knobs that determine the amount of energy that leaves the system and what the energy does to the system while it's in there. The levers and knobs consist of our activity levels, our type of training, our sleep, our hormones, and a lot of other things we probably don't even know about. Now we get to the hard part. Which knobs are most important? And which ones do we turn to augment our fat loss? The answer? No one has a very good idea of exact contributions in normally functioning human physiology. However, it is safe to say that at given times, we're able to use clues and hints as to which knobs to turn and focus on. For example... If you have substantial trouble losing weight despite a low-calorie diet, like 1,200 calories a day, and very substantial exercise, assuming this is true, and your blood work comes back with a, a thyroid level of 0.6, which is clinically very low, you know that probably cutting more calories to around 800 calories a day is probably not the best solution to fat loss. Based on the current state of knowledge, we can use systematic inquiry, essentially guess and check, 
to fine-tune nutrition, training, and lifestyle to adequately address each of the components that dictate changes in weight and body composition. People who are solely interested in the number on the scale simply have a math problem, albeit a complex one. In those cases, you should focus on the modifiable knobs or modules that have the biggest impact on energy balance. Those are food intake, non-exercise activity, exercise, and in some cases, hormones. However, the exercise piece is really the least important piece to emphasize for energy balance amongst those. People who are interested in changing the quality of the system present a little bit harder challenge. In addition to balancing the energy scale, you really need to consider training modalities. What type of training? The volume of the training? The intensity of the training? The duration of the training? You probably need to consider macronutrients to a much greater extent because we know carbohydrates, fats, and proteins affect training, affect recovery, and affect muscle growth much differently. For example, if someone wants to lose 20 pounds, you can really give them any ratio of macronutrients within reason and any type of training program within reason, and you have the right calorie deficit and your hormones aren't completely disastrous, you can get that scale to move. Conversely, if you have someone who wants to add 10 pounds of lean muscle mass and lose 10 pounds of fat mass, the same approach is that you use for the first person is probably going to be a disaster for the second person. Let's conclude. That was a lot of words to essentially say that weight regulation ought to really be thought of as two overlapping ideas. Weight regulation of the human body is best thought of in terms of quantity, weight, and quality, types of tissue. Quantity is easily understood and explained by thermodynamics and is, in essence, a math problem. Quality, or body composition, is best thought of as a complex mixture of signals that range from food type to exercise type, exercise quality, exercise frequency, and even hormones. While this framework is not simple, it gets us much closer to the truth and allows for more nuanced discussions and a better way forward. All right, everybody, that was a discussion from one of our NutriWiki articles um, called Body Weight Regulation, What Controls the Scale. So if you guys want to check out this article in more depth, um, there is more in the actual article than we covered on the podcast. There's a bunch of graphics. Um, there's some additional bonus material. So if you want to check that out, um, go to macrosinc.net slash NutriWiki and then body hyphen weight hyphen regulation hyphen what hyphen controls hyphen the hyphen scale. Oh, that's it. This is episode 46. I'm Dr. Brad. I'm out of here. I'll see you guys later.